have entitled my message this morning as keep your eye on the donut and not on the hole. Have you ever spent time looking at the hole in the donut? You don't, isn't it? <laughs> because after all, you know, you're supposed to eat the donut. But how often when we go through the holes of life, the adverse situations of life, where do we focus our attention on? On the hole. God doesn't want us to focus our attention on the whole. God wants us to focus our attention, if you were to say, on the W-H-O-L-E, the whole, what God is doing in our lives. So you have a choice. A donut has two parts, the fried dough and the whole. And you've got a choice which will attract your attention. You can focus your attention on the whole, or you can focus your attention on the W-H-O-L-E, okay? Now, have you ever thought why the donut has a hole? You say, oh, I'm supposed to be eating donuts, not sit and then I discover all these truths. If you do a Google search, you'll come up with some interesting concepts, but uh, the thought that I would like to share with you, the reason for the hole is if you fry the donut without the hole, the dough that is in the middle would not get properly cooked because it is fried. So if you're going to put it in oil, the center portion for it to get cooked properly, you have to keep it for a longer time in the hot oil. And as a result, either it could get burnt or the outside can become more crusty. I'm not very familiar with cooking, but those who are few who are, I'm sure you would agree with this. So that's the reason for the hole in the donut. So that the donut would be cooked properly. Okay? Now, does that give you a fresh perspective about the holes, the adverse circumstances that you go through? There's a purpose for that. Nothing happens by chance. There's a purpose for that. And this morning, I'm going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 19, and look at the life of Paul, the adverse circumstances that he went through but how in the midst of all that, he was able to affirm the goodness of God. Oftentimes we have these statements we make. If only the circumstance was different. You know? If only I was, not, and I was not falling sick, I didn't have this problem. If only I didn't lose my job. If only the climate around was better around me, then things would be different. If only. You know. And sometimes we move into maybe the next stage and we say, in spite of the surroundings, I'm still able to go through with life. God is not asking you and me to go through the life, of, uh, through life, the situations of life. God is asking us to thrive in the situations of life. So we have to move from the if only to the, in spite of, we have to move into the third stage of because of. Because of these adverse situations, my life has become better. I become more mature in my faith because of this situation. That should be our approach. And that is what uh, Paul's approach is in this particular passage. So if you notice the circumstances that Paul went through over here, just to give you like a brief overview. When he's writing this epistle, he is under house arrest in Rome. 
And before that, if you look at Acts chapter 21 to 28, we will read about how he landed up in that particular place. 21, it speaks about how he was in Jerusalem. And people made an allegation against him that he had brought some Gentiles into the temple. And because of that, he was pulled up. There was a riot that took place, and then he was arrested. And some people even decided to make a vow that they are going to get him killed. So, word came, and as a result, he was moved from that place in the middle of the night to the next place. He was sent to Caesarea to meet with Felix the governor. And Felix the governor kept him in Caesarea, in prison, for two whole years. For two whole years. And then, you know, he passes on the responsibility to the next governor that came in, Festus. The scripture also speaks about hoping that he'll, you know, by, he'll give him a bribe so that he can get out. And Paul did not do anything of that. You know? And then he goes from Festus to King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. And he shares the whole gospel with him. He shares the whole, his testimony. And then Agrippa responds and says, hey, you're trying to convert me, you know. And then because he has appealed to Rome, he says, I'm a Roman citizen. How dare you arrest me like this? He says, okay, let's him, let us send him to Rome. Since he has appealed, we cannot do anything. And then they put him on a ship. What happens? You find that the ship has a big storm. Ship breaks down. Lands up in Malta, small island. From there, you find snake bites him. And from that area, he has now landed up in Rome, finally. Okay. But what is he doing in Rome? He's under house arrest. Now, when you say a house arrest, it may appear very nice. You know? After all, he's not in prison. He's in house arrest. No, no. He was chained to two guards 24-7. How do you think that would be? Yeah. 24-7, you have constant monitoring. You know? Two guards are constantly by our side. What an easy situation to be in, isn't it? You know? And in this situation, Paul is writing this letter. A letter of joy. And when he's saying, now I want you to know. To whom he's writing, he's writing to the church at Philippi. They had sent Epaphroditus, a person from that church. Philippi, the church at Philippi was very close to the heart of uh, uh, Paul, because he has founded this church. So they are worried. Now what's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to the gospel? Here he was a missionary who went out on missionary journeys. Now what's going to happen to the church? So they send Epaphroditus to get a report. And they also send a contribution so that you know, his needs would be met. Now when Epaphroditus comes and inquires, you find this is his response. Four things that he mentions over there. First of all, we read in verses 12 and 13, he says, Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul wanted to go to Rome. That was his heart's desire that he will go to Rome as a preacher. But did he land up in Rome as a preacher? No, he landed up in Rome as a prisoner. But he's saying, I want you guys to know that I'm so happy over here that God has fulfilled my heart's desire. He's saying that these adverse circumstances has opened new doors for the gospel. 
Each and every word in that particular passage is so full of meaning. When the letter is coming from Epaphroditus or the church at Philippi, they say, hey, I want to know what's happening to you, Paul, what's happening to you? Paul is saying, I'm not worried about what's happening to me. I'm more concerned about what's happening to the gospel, the positive effects that has happening for the gospel. So he says, I want you to know. The word that is used there for want is a word that is so full of meaning, which says that I've come to this conclusion, and this is my heart's desire. I've weighed all that has happened to me from chapter 21 to chapter 28, if you were to say, and I want you to know I've come to this conclusion that everything that has happened in my life so far has actually advanced the gospel. It has brought me to this particular point. Now, it was my heart's desire to come to Rome. How I have come to Rome, I do not know all that stages that has happened, but I want you to know that this has helped in furtherance of the gospel. That is his conclusion. He's saying, I want you to know. That was his desire, his heart's desire, isn't it? You know? I want you to know this fact. Who? The church at Philippi. The word that is used there for know means not only by your, my experience, I want you to know it personally, and I want you to continue to know this truth. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I have come to this conclusion that all that has happened to me so far has helped to further the gospel, and I want you also to experience and know this particular truth. This was his heart's desire. And he says over there, more than anything else, you know, this was his desire that he must preach in Rome. If you notice in Acts chapter 19 and verse 21, he says, after I've been in Jerusalem, I must also go to Rome. That was his heart's desire. Then in Corinthians, you know, you know, he says, so as much as is in me, I am ready, eager to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 15 when he's writing it from Corinth. So his heart's desire was to get to Rome to preach the gospel. And he says whatever obstacles came his way, he says that has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Whatever obstacles came my way, it has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. What happened? Let me condense briefly all that happened in chapter 21 to chapter 28. First of all, there were false rumors. Then there was a riot. Then there was a beating. Then there was an arrest. There were years of confinement. There was a public misunderstanding. There was a ruining of his reputation. There was slander. There were whispers. There were accusations against his name. There was a shipwreck. There was a snake bite and his house arrest here in Rome. All these things happened, and what is Paul saying? All this that has happened, all these obstacles that has happened, has actually happened for a particular purpose. God wanted me to be in Rome for this purpose. He has brought me here, and I'm willing to give thanks to God for it. As somebody has said, you know, when life hands you lemon, what do you do? Make lemonade, right? And that's what Paul was doing over here. He looks back onto his life, on all the adverse situations, and he has come to this conclusion and is saying, I want you guys to know this truth. Stop for a moment 
and look back on all the adverse situations that you have faced. What has been your response to that? Have you been upset with God? Are you lying deep down in the hole this morning saying, God, after all that I've done for you, this is what you're doing to me? Think for a moment. Paul, a preacher of the gospel, now in prison. He could have complained, isn't it? He could have complained about all the hardships that he has gone through so far for the gospel and says, God, this is how you treat me. Oftentimes we expect some you know, good points because we have done something good, isn't it? That's not Paul's attitude. He's looking back on all that has happened and he's saying, I don't understand it, how this is going to work out when he was going through it. But now when he is in Rome, he's saying, now I can trace back. I can trace back. So look back on all the events that have happened in your life in which you thought this was, this was not God. Maybe you prayed and asked God for something. God didn't answer your prayers. Or maybe he answered your prayers, but not in the way that you wanted it to. You know? And you're upset with him. You gave your petitions, you gave your demands as it were, and God did not meet with it. And you're upset with God. No, no. Every disappointment that we face have to be turned around into an appointment, isn't it? Just one letter, D. D standing for maybe discouragement or defeat or desperation. Take that letter, first letter of the word disappointment, D. Take it out and replace it with the letter H. What do you get? His appointment. His appointment. And that is how we must view life. That is how God expects us to view life. And that's what Paul is teaching us. Adverse situations come into our lives for a purpose. If only we would see with the eyes of faith, then any disappointment, look back on all the things that have happened and look at what God is making out of you. Don't focus on the whole. Focus on what God is creating, the whole donut. Okay? Thirdly, we find out Paul's experience. He says, what has happened to me has turned out, or some translations will say, has served. When he's speaking about turned out, some other translation also says, has fallen into. What he's emphasizing is, all this that has happened had a purpose behind it. Had a purpose behind it. And that's simple, important truth. Nothing happens to us by chance. Do you believe that this morning? Nothing happens to us by chance. Not just the good things, but also the bad things. Nothing happens to us by chance. If we are his child, God does not waste any of these adverse circumstances. He is at work fashioning you, making into something that is beautiful, if only we would allow him to. Now, what should be our desire? We find Paul's desire fulfilled over here where he says, this has served to advance the gospel. This has served to advance the gospel. Oftentimes, what's our desire in life? I want to have a comfortable life. I want to rise up the ladder. I want to enjoy life. If that is your heart's desire, the holes are not going to help in any way. It will take you only deeper. But if your heart's desire is, Lord, I want your name to be glorified in and through my life. Whatever happens in my life, Lord, I want your name to be glorified. If that's your heart's desire, 
when the Lord says he will do it. He will fulfill it. Paul's desire was what? That he should come to Rome to preach the gospel. That the gospel would advance. The gospel would progress. If that was his heart's desire, all the obstacles that came in, no obstacle was insurmountable for God. God overcame all those obstacles. Now the word that is used there for advance or progress is the Greek word prokope. Now that's an interesting word. Prokope is not just an advancement. It is an advancement against obstacles. Okay? It's like an army that is going to take over, advance. They remove all the obstacles in the way. That's the word picture. So what Paul is saying is, if your heart's desire is to glorify God, then any obstacle that comes in the way, any adverse circumstance that comes in the way, God is going to turn that around. All the disappointments in your life will be turned around for his appointment. What is he doing in Rome? House arrest, chained between two guards, Praetorian guards, by the way, not ordinary guys. They were the top class guards, you know, guards who are under training to get top positions in the Roman government. That was their, uh, if you were to say, practical work. And every six hours, these guards were <laughs> chained, okay? So since they chained the guards every six hours, this meant that Paul had a new audience four times a day, 28 times a week, and over 2,900 times in the two years that he was there. Was that an opportunity? <laughs> was that an appointment? What do you think Paul was talking about on the house arrest? Do you think he was talking about the weather outside? Not at all. He was sharing the gospel, isn't it? And when he shared every six hours, another guy comes in, duty change. What is he doing? Again talking. Would it have been easy? Do you think all the people would have been responsive? I'm sure some of them would have been quite anti. But did he stop? No, he continued. Whether it was positive or negative, he continued to share. And he says, this has advanced the gospel. Ask yourself, the adverse situations that the Lord has taken you through all these years of your life, how has that helped to advance the gospel? How has that helped to glorify the name of the Lord? If it has not happened, the chances are you're still wallowing in self-pity in that hole and saying, why Lord, how Lord? Learn to come about that this morning. Learn to fix your eyes on God who is in control that nothing happens in our lives without an opportunity for God to do something. Think of the story of uh, John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a preacher of the gospel, isn't it? And in those days, in the 17th century Church of England, they did not want these people to preach the gospel. You know? They were so traditionally oriented, they said they didn't want anybody to preach the gospel. But John Bunyan was jailed, they thought, by putting him in jail, he'll stop preaching the gospel. What did he do next? He started preaching among the prisoners. All the prisoners gathered around. And not only the prisoners, people were sitting and listening to him outside the wall also. And that caused more problems for the jailers over there. So they said, hey, this guy is not keeping his mouth shut. Let, him put, let us put him into the most interior portion of the prison. Maybe like a solitary confinement. What did he do over there? sat down and wrote 
the pilgrim's progress you know? the pilgrim's progress was written over that he could have sat down and says god my mouth is shut i can't get out of this prison i'm in solitary confinement over here no 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 what was his attitude i want to make the best out of this situation and i want to do something for you your name has to be glorified through my life and you know pilgrim's progress has been a classic that has helped many people right throughout the centuries sad to say today modern generation some people don't even know about pilgrim's progress if you have not read it please do read it okay it's an excellent book and which speaks about you know, obstacles that come in our way and how we need to keep pressing on remember god never wastes the difficult circumstances in our lives god never wastes it but it's our attitude that will make the difference are you going to fix your eyes on the hole are you going to fix your eyes on the donut on what god is doing secondly adverse circumstances encourages bold witness in verse 14 we read because of my chains most of the brothers in the lord have been encouraged to speak the word of god more courageously and fearlessly because of my chains not in spite of okay because of my chains okay so paul's attitude yielded results yielded results now this attitude was a consistent attitude this witness of his chained between two guards was a consistent attitude it was a 24 by 7 spotlight on him to check up whether his faith was genuine did he slip up at any time no even if he had slipped up once what would have happened one that particular guard would have said hey he's talking to you you're saying this guy is a preacher this guy has a good attitude look what he did to me or look what he said that day he did he immediately spoiled or stopped his witness but he had that consistent witness his lifestyle was matching up with what he was saying so his attitude yielded results what results that it that did it yield we find that his courage to stand firm was contagious the bible tells us because of his chains the people who were outside the roman church the church at rome now they got courage to go and share the gospel they thought hey all's hands are tied his mouth is not tied and he is speaking now our hands are free but our mouths are tied and we are not speaking hey that's not right okay and they were built up courage you know they became strong in their faith to go and share it yielded results because of his consistent life it yielded results also <laughs> because his courage was contagious it's interesting again the word that is used there the amplified version paraphrases it this way it says they derived fresh confidence in the lord they derived fresh confidence in the lord another translation paraphrases it like this the great majority of the brethren having come to a state of settled confidence in the lord settled confidence in the lord in other words looking at paul's speech looking at paul's life the church was so persuaded hey we cannot keep our mouth shut we have to go and share and the bible tells us they courageously and fearlessly spoke the gospel now courage is not the absence of fear isn't it you know 
but in the midst of those fears, they still pressed ahead. Remember, there was a church at Rome, the Roman headquarters, you know. They could have easily pulled them up. They could have easily, you know, put them in prison. But in the midst of that fear, fearlessly with courage. The word courage speaks about, you know, standing firm in the midst of obstacles. In the midst of obstacles. How did it happen? Because his faith was contagious. Ask yourself this morning this question. <clears throat> Has anyone got this contagious faith from you? Because of the change? Because of the adverse situations? When you have gone through those adverse situations, what has been your response? Have you been whining and crying and saying, poor me and why God and blaming God? And so much so that anyone who comes near you say, I don't want to meet this guy because all that he's talking about is you know, negative things. Or when they have met you, when they have seen the joy of the Lord, the strength that is there in the midst of the adverse situations, has that faith become contagious? That's the question you need to ask yourself this morning. Our faith must be contagious. Look back. Look back. Today is an evaluation time. Check back on all those adverse circumstances. Don't get stuck in the hole. See what God is doing. There's a purpose as your faith enables somebody else, when you have gone through those adverse situations, to trust in God. To trust in God. <coughs> Martin Luther was founded, his life, his work was founded on the courage of John Huss, who died at the stake for his faith. The ministries of John Wesley and George Whitfield were built on the courage of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Faith is contagious. When a person is going through tough times and their faith stands firm, that faith is very contagious to people around you. But sad to say today, a lot of people, when problems come their way, they collapse. They collapse, isn't it? Alexander McLaren puts it across this way. He says, the mass of so-called Christians seem rather to have been plunged into ice-cold water than into fire. And their coldness is as contagious as Paul's radiant enthusiasm was. Let us try for our parts to radiate out the warmth of the love of God that it may kindle in others the flame which it has lighted in ourselves, and not be like icebergs floating southwards and bringing down the temperature of even the very temperate seas in which we find ourselves. The reason for a community to come together every Sunday morning, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? So that we can spur one another on so that others can see the faith that you have in the midst of those adverse circumstances. And when they see you rejoicing, your faith becomes contagious. <laughs> Ask yourself, what has been your attitude toward those adverse circumstances? Have you got bogged down? And if somebody asks you, how are you this morning? You say, under the circumstances, you know, it is okay. God does not want us to live under the circumstances. Rise above. Do you know how an eagle soars up, or why does it soar up? God has called us to be eagles, isn't it? Not chickens. Chickens are always looking down. Eagles are upward creatures. The scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings as eagles. How do they rise up? 
when the storms come in, the eagles are not hiding, running for a place to hide. The chickens will do that. But the eagles, what do they do? When the storm comes in, they spread their wings outside. And then, they, with the wind blast, they're able to rise above the storm. God wants us to be eagles. Don't be under the circumstances. God wants you and me to be above. How has your faith been contagious to people around you? Or have you put them down into icy waters? You know? And when they meet with you, their faith also, even if it was there, has been like pouring cold water on that. No, no. God wants our faith to be contagious. Thirdly, adverse circumstances reveal our true friends. Reveal our true friends. Verses 15 to 17, this is what we read. Verses 15 to 17. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Now, if all that Paul went through so far was not bad enough, he's in chains, and what is happening? The church, some of them, not all of them, they say, hey, this is an opportunity for us to climb on top of uh, Paul's shoulders since he cannot do anything and get our popularity. So they go out, some preach out of envy, some preach out of strife, Paul says, but some preach out of goodwill. Okay? So there are people from within the church who when you are going through the struggles of life, want to make a fast buck as it were, want to put you down so that they feel better. And that is where the true friends are shown, isn't it? We speak about fair weather friends, you know. As the weather blows, wind blows, they keep changing. Trials, the adverse situations show who your true friends are. Are they willing to stand by you? Or are they willing to climb on top of you and build their own kingdoms? Remember, these two groups were actual believers. They were not false teachers. Others, Paul would have said, hey, don't allow them to come in. They were not heretics. They were not false teachers. But they were true, genuine preachers. That's the sad part, isn't it? You know? Sad part is from within the church itself, people can pull one another down, especially when they go through hard times. And when you go through hard times and somebody pulls you down, how does that make you feel? You feel even worse, isn't it? As it is, things are bad outside. Now there's a mental torture also. And coming from own family, own believers. That also happens. That's an adverse situation, isn't it? What is Paul's evaluation of that? He says, yes, there are two reasons for preaching. Some preach out of jealousy. Some preach out of envy. Some preach out of you know, strife. You know, some want to get the best out of this situation. But he says, I'm not bothered about that. I have been put here for the gospel. He says, what is happening outside, that is not my, my lookout. What people are talking about me, that is not my lookout. I'm sure some of them would have come up with some crazy rumors about Paul, isn't it? They say, look, here's a guy who's always getting into trouble. Do you think he's a good evangelist? You know? Do you think anything good can come out of him? How can he get into trouble all the time? Something must be definitely wrong with him. And when somebody says like that, what do the others say? Yes, yes, yes. You know? 
something must be wrong somewhere, okay? There's a group that comes in together. And that's how these two groups have come in. And then somebody else says, okay, you know, since he's in prison, now that's a great opportunity for us to advance the gospel, you know, and put it in a spiritual manner and push themselves up. There are a lot of people who build their own kingdoms, you know, at the cost of building Christ's kingdom. What is Paul's attitude to this? He says, you know, look here, that is what is happening outside. But what am I going to do? I'm going to focus on what is happening here in prison. Puritan Thomas Manton gives us some good advice. When you find yourself in a situation of being misrepresented like Paul, that is also an adverse situation, isn't it? When people have misrepresented you, falsified things, you know, spread rumors, gossip about you. And when it comes sometimes from friends, from believers, it becomes even more hurting. Thomas Watson, Manton writes, God is the most powerful asserter of our innocence. He has the hearts and tongues of men in his own hands and can either prevent the slanderer from uttering reproach or the hearer from the entertainment of the reproach. He that hath such power over the consciences of men can clear up our innocence. Therefore, it is best to deal with God about it and prayer many times proves a better vindication than to attempt to defend ourselves. Is that our response? You know, oftentimes we say, that guy said this, I'm going to show him. We want to defend ourselves. That's not what Paul did over here. Adverse situation came and he says, I leave it up to God. And he says, I am going to focus on what God has called me to. That was his mindset. His mindset was, I have been put here in prison for a purpose. And he was going to focus on that. Satan would love to get our minds focused on something else. Okay? Whether it's the situation around us, if that is not succeeding, then it's the rumors that are coming around to try and block our mental attitudes. But we must learn to recognize we have been put here for a purpose. Do you know the purpose for which you are in your particular company that you are working? Is it just to get money? Is it just to get earned money? Is it just to get a promotion? Do you know why God has put you in that college that you are studying? Do you know why God has put you in the residence that God has given you a house? God has put you for a purpose. That is what Paul identified. He says, let them say whatever they want to say. My focus, my mind is I want to glorify God. And God has put me here. That's the verse that he is using. Ask yourself, what is your life preaching? What is your life preaching? To whom is it preaching? Are they able to see your life transforming their lives and recognizing I'm here for a purpose? Get your identity clear. Your identity, your purpose in life is not just somehow to survive or get through or get up on the top of this world. But your purpose here on earth is that God would be glorified. If that is your purpose, whatever situation comes into your life, you and I will be able to see it from the lens of God and give God the glory. Finally, the fourth point is adverse circumstances proves our ultimate values. 
proves our ultimate values. Verse 19 tells us, but what does it matter? <laughs> He's saying, okay, I've gone through all these circumstances. If that was not enough, these guys are saying all sorts of wrong things about me and preaching for wrong reasons. But what does it matter, he says. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Because of this, I rejoice. What is this conclusion? What is the important thing? What is most important to you? What is most important to Paul? His most important thing for Paul was the advancement of the gospel. Whoever is preaching for whatever is preaching, God would hold that person accountable. If your heart's desire is, Lord, I want your name to be glorified through my life. If that is the most important thing in your life, then whatever happens around you, whatever people are saying around you, you would not be shifted. Your mindset would not change. Your mindset will still be focused and say, Lord, I want your name to be glorified in and through my life. So he says, I'm choosing to rejoice. He says, whatever has happened, my important thing is, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. In fact, he mentions it twice, isn't it? He says, I rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. In what? In this. In this. All that has happened to me. When you're speaking about these two aspects, I rejoice, I will rejoice. Looking back on all that has happened that has brought him to Rome as a, in house arrest, he's looking back and saying, I rejoice that God had a plan and purpose, that God's name has been glorified through all these things. And then he's looking into the future and saying, I will continue to rejoice. Whatever is going to come my way, I'm not going to stop rejoicing. Corrie ten Boom put it across this way. She said, look around you and be distressed. Look inside of you and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. Look at Jesus and be at rest. Where are you looking around? What is your focus? What is your ultimate value? What is your ultimate goal in life? The secret of Paul's joy was that single-mindedness that he had. The single-mindedness that said, I will rejoice because God is in charge. I will rejoice because all my disappointments are actually his appointments. I will rejoice because nothing happens to me without his knowledge. He has the best in store for me. The word rejoice, by the way, is a very interesting word. The, the word picture is of a little lamb romping around in the grass. When James writes it, he says, twirl with joy. Welcome those trials. Jump around with joy. Because these trials of life are going to make you mature. Or if you were to put it in today's context, it will be, it is the holes of life that will make you into a donut. So rejoice. Rejoice for the blessing that you will be. Is that our attitude this morning? Paul did not allow the circumstances to steal his joy. And this is a lesson that we must learn as well. He moves on further and says, you know, I know, I know that this is going to be for my deliverance. This is going to be for my deliverance. He says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He had this confidence. He had this confidence. They said, 
without a shadow of doubt, I am confident. I know that this will work out for good. He was very confident on Romans chapter 8, verse 28. After all, he wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, God makes everything work together for good. You have that attitude this morning? As I asked you to look back into your life and look at all the adverse circumstances, can you this morning with joy in your hearts and say, God, thank you for those. Because of those, I am what I am today. Because of the right attitude that changed me into your likeness and image. That word, no, confidence, confidence. And then he says, you know, because he saw the bigger picture, he has this assurance that this will lead me or take me to my deliverance. The word that's used there for deliverance is the word that we use for our salvation. So what Paul is saying is, I'm confident that I will be saved through this, or I will come out of this, or this is only a temporary phase that I'm going through. That is what gives us joy, isn't it? To know that the adverse situations of life are only going to be temporary. Now, he was on a house arrest in Rome. He was supposed to go to the high court, the Supreme Court rather, and they would take a call, whether he's going to be you know, freed, whether he's going to be judged. You know. He did not know the future, but he said, I'm confident that this is a temporary thing. And then later on when he writes the book of 1 Timothy, which is his last book, he's confident that this time has drawn near. He's confident whatever happens here in this life, he's still going to be saved. His salvation will be there for him because God's presence is there. And even if it is going to end in death, he says, I'm confident that there's a future that is open for me. That is what Paul's heart was. How can we live like Paul? Can we live like Paul? Or can we say, oh, Paul was a too big guy, you know, he's way up there, you know, I can't live like him. No, no, God wants us to be. He was a normal man like you and me, and God wants us to live up to maturity. Remember, adversity comes to us sooner or later. We are not given a choice about most of the things that happen to us, isn't it? Advance notice is not asked. Can I send you this adversity? No, no. It comes on us suddenly, okay? Now, everyone this morning who is listening to me, whether online or here, good news is either you have come out from an adversity or you are in the midst of an adverse circumstance or if in case you are saying, oh, life has been comfortable, good news is you will go into an adversity. Adverse situations are common in life, but your attitude to that is what will make the difference. Since adversity comes to all of us sooner or later, the only choice we have is regarding our attitude. Will we look at the donut or will we look at the hole? If we look at what we don't have or what we have lost, we will most certainly lose our faith. But if we look at what we still have, we can find the courage to keep on going. Paul kept his eyes on the donut and not on the whole. Let me close with two quick illustrations of two missionaries who faced adverse situations and their reactions to it. The first is a couple by the name of David and his wife, Svea Flood. Okay? This young couple with a two-year-old son went as missionaries to the Congo 
1921. In a short while, his wife, Svea, contracted malaria. And in the midst of this, she found herself pregnant. And for several months, she endured a raging fever. Finally, the malaria got so bad, she became bedridden. And within a week after delivering a healthy baby girl, she died. David Flood was badly shaken by his wife's death. And as he stood beside the grave with his young son beside him, he heard his baby daughter's cries from the mud hut. And suddenly, bitterness filled his heart. And anger rose up in him, and he couldn't control it. He flew into a rage, crying, Why did you allow this, God? We came here to give our lives. My wife was so beautiful, so talented, and here she lies, dead at 27. He said, Now I have a two-year-old son I can hardly care for, let alone a baby girl. You have failed me, God. What a waste of life. And he was so upset. He gave his newborn daughter to the missionary who was there, walked out of that place, went back home to Sweden, and for many, many years, nothing was heard about him. This daughter grew up, had a desire to go find out where the father was, hunted around, finally met him many, many years later. She found him in a rundown building with liquor bottles lying around him. He was now 73 years old, suffering from diabetes. He also had a stroke, and cataracts covered both of his eyes. His whole life was wasted. But praise God, his daughter was able to speak with him, share about God's love. Even though he was not able to forgive himself for a long time, finally he turned around and returned back to God. But his whole life was wasted because of his attitude. He saw only the whole, did not see what God was doing. The second example is the story of Letty Kaumann and her husband, Charles, <clears throat> who went to Japan as missionaries in the 1900s. And after 16 years of daily meetings, her husband had enough health issues. And as a result, they came back to the United States. And while in the States, her husband had a heart attack and his condition worsened further. She nursed her husband for the next six years. But after a long battle, Charles succumbed, finally passed away. Charles' death was devastating for his wife. Since they were childless, Charles meant everything to her. And she wrote in her diary, this is a living hell on earth. She had prayed that God would heal Charles. Why didn't he? Had not hundreds of people lifted up Charles in God to God for healing? Where was he? What did she do? She compiled letters, articles, encouraging thoughts from different, different books and articles that she kept reading, compiled it together and put together streams in the desert, which is still impacting many people. You can allow God to use your adverse circumstances to touch lives or you can waste your life. The choice is yours. What will your focus be on? Are you going to look back on your adverse circumstances, unanswered, seemingly unanswered prayers, situations that you thought God had abandoned you, complain, give up on your faith? Or would you this morning 
say, God, that whole is a purpose. I want that purpose to be fulfilled in my life. I want your name to be glorified in my life. Let me close with a couple of applications, practical thoughts that you can take away from here. Number one, why is it difficult to find positive feelings when we are going through a very difficult trial or situation? What do you think was Paul's secret? Number two, from the standpoint of witness to others, you are much more credible when you are undergoing personal struggles, stress, and problems. Why is this so? Why was Paul's witness so powerful? And what personal struggle are you going through that could enhance your testimony if you handled it right? Number three, have there been times when you have found yourself critical of the motives or methods of other Christians or churches? What do you think Paul's advice would be to you when you feel this way? Number four, how do you, your priorities in life affect those around you? Do others see the gospel as a priority in your life and become more confident in the Lord? Number five, think again about the situations God has put you in. Where do you find yourself afraid to speak the word? What does this reveal about your priorities in the situation? And number six, what is one takeaway for you from this message? Next time, when you bite into a donut, Look at the hole. Look at the adverse situation that God has taken you through. And as you take a bite and enjoy the sweetness of the donut, look for what God is doing and give God the glory. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for teaching us that it's our attitude that makes the difference. Paul went through so much, Lord, much more than we can ever imagine. But his heart was a heart of joy. He saw all the disappointments as your appointments. Lord, you have a purpose. You have put us in different places for a purpose. Help us, Lord, not just to go through with life morning after morning, day after day, but help us to recognize your purpose. And even as we look back, help us, Lord, to see how you have worked things out. Maybe sometimes we have not even seen how things are all going to work out. But we pray that you'd help us to focus our attention on you, for your glory, that that would be our heart's desire. And if that is our heart's desire, Lord, joy will come into our lives. And that will be contagious, and others will be benefited, which is really your desire. Be with us this week. Whatever situations you take us through, help us, Lord, to rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.